This is the Becoming Man podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Melke, here with co-host Marshall McElhaney. Integrating our knowledge and experience as family therapists, husbands, fathers, and men, we explore a wide range of topics from a masculine perspective, including mental health, relationships, fatherhood, and meaning-making in today's ever-evolving world. Thank you for listening, and welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Becoming Man podcast. Marshall, good to see you again. You as well, Anthony. In the, in the podcast world. It's been a couple of weeks since we recorded. Yep. Uh, yeah, I, I got a chance to go out to New York and visit my family, which was really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Did you get pizza? I know. How dare you? <laughs> I know. <laughs> got a lot of other good food. Chinese, Brazilian, Mexican. What else did we get? Some seafood. We went to the Jersey <clears throat> Jersey Shore. Nice. Um, it's funny. I told my wife <clears throat> that you were going out to New York for the week. Yeah. And, and she's like, oh, I'd like to go. It's like, me too. There's only three things I want to do, though. Do you have any idea what they would be? Probably go to Yankee Stadium. Yep. Eat pizza. Yep. And... Uh, numbers are struggling with number three. Go to the Met Stadium. Oh. <laughs> the other baseball. <laughs> she rolled her eyes really hard. Fair enough. <laughs> Oops, my mic stand. Um, yeah, fair enough. There's so much more to do, Yeah, obviously, in New York. Um, <clears throat> there's this place that is close to my... Um, my family's house in Brooklyn called Midwood Flats. Sure. Um, it's it's like one of, you know, thousands of bars and restaurants around or whatever. But um, the first time I went out there to meet my family, Marie and I went out there in 2000, something teen, 18, 17. I think sure. it was like right before New Year's 2018. So it was the end of 2017. And... Um, it was right after Christmas. And uh, mm-hmm. anyway, our Airbnb was close to this place called Midwood Flats. Yeah. And we were, uh, we had left my my family's apartment. We're kind of just like processing, whoa, meeting all of my family for the first time, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> I had met my, my dad, but... Not my sister, not my grandma, not my cousins, um, not my aunt and uncle. I didn't get to meet cousins that time. Anyway, uh, so we looked up, we were looking for a place to go out for a drink for the evening uh, afterwards. And we found this place called Midwood Flats. And it was, Marshall, I've never felt more cool in my life. Really? Than than being in that part. It's got like really, really beautiful woodwork. Um, it's kind of got this rustic vibe, but also really classy. Mm-hmm. It was decorated for Christmas at the time. So there was like, it was like really low lighting, and but like tinsel and really cool like Christmas lights and all this stuff. And Future was playing. The, the, yeah, the, the rapper. Yeah. 
I felt so freaking cool <laughs> just because like the confluence of everything too. Like it was sort of this rustic looking yeah. place, but also really urban and like it was really cozy Christmassy stuff. And then, and then future was playing and like the coolest looking people I'd ever seen in my life because I'm from a small town in Minnesota where yeah. you are. I was like, we're so cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we went there on the last night. I love that place. That's sweet. They survived the pandemic, and I was like, so we have to go, you know. Did you? Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, the last night there. We oh, went. you. this time you went the last yeah. time. I gotcha. Yeah. I follow you. Yeah. Wow. Just as cool, just as tasty uh, um, drinks and the, food, yeah. the food's great, yeah. It's cool if they survived COVID. Yeah, yeah I'm really happy. Yeah. It was. I mean, it is. I'm really happy that they did. And uh, last little story before we dive in for today, but we went to a couple small towns on the Jersey Shore. Um, one of them was called Asbury Park. If I, I might move there uh, when I'm like retired. I was going to say that would be breaking news. I, I mean, I mean, not really. I was being <laughs> dramatic, but it was so cool. Yeah, it was so cool. Yeah, um, right on the right on the ocean. But there's a um, they're really cool downtown with like um, this independent used bookstore that you know that's my jam. I love yeah. it. Um, little coffee shops, restaurants, art places, a distillery, a brewery, like cool. big brew hall. Like it was, it was really cool. Um, a little river running right through the downtown with, uh, Oh man. Yeah. It was really sweet <clears throat> and a great beach. So I want to go. Yeah. It was great. Um, work outing. Got it. What's that? Work outing. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I told, <laughs> I told my, my dad, I'm like, maybe I'm going to open a, uh, waxwing East in this town. <laughs> this, this looks like a good town for a waxwing office. I'm not. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> that'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah. mm. We'll just do consulting or something. Yeah. yeah. Just get out of here. Just go once a year. <clears throat> I do have one more story. That's okay. A, so uh, have you ever heard of the Strand Bookstore in, in uh, um, I think it's in Manhattan. No. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty famous, well, a, a really famous bookstore in, in downtown New York. And uh, I heard about it because... Um, Ocean Vong did a reading there. Sure. And I was like, what is this place? It's their, their catchphrase is 18 miles of books. So I guess that their bookshelves together right. come for 18 miles of books, which is just, that's very difficult to make sense of. That's a lot of books. <laughs> but yeah, it's, you know, um, three fourths of a marathon there. Yeah. Anyway, so I went there and I bought a lot of books from, mm -hmm. yeah, overstuffed my, my bag. Um, and gifts for the kids and stuff. Um, but there's there's this book that I've been looking for used for about five years um, called, um, well, it's by this guy named Bruno Schultz. I think it's called The Street of Crocodiles. Oh. Um, and he has a, he has an absolutely fascinating story. It's like really tragic. Um, he was a, a budding Jewish um, art artist and author in Poland and then World War II happened and of course you know Germany took over it was really bad and so he was commissioned uh, by a Nazi officer to um, 
because he was a visual artist as well, commissioned to uh, do a um, really uh, like mural his kid's whole bedroom, this officer's whole bedroom. Um, But he died after the Nazi officer that employed him killed another Jew that was employed by a different um, Nazi officer. And so that the other Nazi officer went and killed Bruno Schultz as like a, you know, well, I killed, you killed mine. I killed yours. Right. Just like, just like they were animals. Yeah. Isn't it terrible? Yes. It's just absolutely tragic. Um, but his writings and most of his art was completely lost, uh, until scholars started like trying to dig it up and like people went in and they found, um, they found the bedroom and they, it was covered. The, the mural was painted over and they found his writings, um, after a while and only two survived this collection of short, short stories called the street of crocodiles. And then God, there's one other one. It doesn't really matter, but it's in the same book. Anyway, I heard about this. Yeah. And I was like, that's a treasure. I have to find that book, but I refuse to order it online or buy it on Amazon. So I've been, <laughs> I've been, I've been on a five year hunt for this book in a used bookstore. I found it at Prairie lights in, um, Iowa city. Yeah. But it wasn't used. It was new. Gotcha. So I didn't yeah, find a used one. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. found it. That's cool. At strand. That's awesome. Oh man. I haven't even read it yet. I just have it now. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Five year journey. Mm-hmm. Found it. Oh, anyway, there you, there, there you go. That was yeah. my trip. There's the update. Yeah. Should we dive into, uh, the topic of the day? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now that you're all juiced up and, uh, and juiced awake. up, warmed up. Got the brain moving. Um, whoop, a yawn. Okay. So, um, yeah, I was thinking we'd talk about grief today. Yeah. Um, I think we, in our therapy work, we deal with various forms of grieving all the time. Uh, whether it's um, grieving the loss of a loved one, a loss of a job, lost opportunities. Uh, yeah. I think we're all kind of in a collective grieving process still after the pandemic. Yep. Um, <clears throat> you So much mm-hmm. um, that I think grief encapsulates. I wanted to contextualize the conversation um, to talk about two different types of grief um, or two different experiences of it, or at least two. Uh, the first one being like, from from death from a loss um and then also within that talking about ambiguous loss which is a really important one that we'll get into um but then i also uh kind of interested in this more maybe nuanced experience of grief that i think a lot of the people we work with deal with and uh, it actually relates to my new york story um but it's it's the grief of for what never was yeah. You know, um, yeah. and maybe I'll contextualize, uh, or even an idea, right? Yes. Yeah. Love yeah. the loss of an idea. Yeah. Um, so, um, one other piece of, of context before we, uh, really dive into what these experiences are like, how to get through them, those sorts of things, what can happen when you're in them. Um, this Friday, August 6th is the 10th anniversary of, a of a tragedy in the military community. Um, there was a, uh, Chinook helicopter in Afghanistan with, um, 
31 people on it, including, well, 30 people, one dog, um, Bart is, was the dog's name, um, including 17 uh, American Navy SEALs, and my brother-in-law was one of them. Uh, his name was Nick, and uh, everybody passed away. And August 6th is the 10th anniversary of that um, of that event. And yeah. so it's the 10th anniversary of my brother-in-law's passing. Um, so this week is a big one for my wife's family. Um, and um, we'll be having, you know, there, there's a lot. It's interesting. There's a lot that they're doing um, that we all do. Ritual, community, uh, remembering a meal, like all of these things yeah. that they're planning, uh, this weekend. Um, but I, I wanted to, to mention Nick and, and the other, um, seals that died. First of all, just kind of as a way to honor, um, and, and name the, the sacrifice. And, um, it's an important, you know, 10 years is, it's only the number 10 is only important because we, we assign importance to it, but we assign importance to it, and it's a big deal. Ten years. Um, well, the, I mean, the remembrance, like the <coughs> legacy of what you're talking about is important. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? It's not necessarily the number of year. Right, right. I'm, I'm saying more like, for whatever reason, culturally, ten. Yeah. There's there's an added weight sure. to that. So I just wanted to, but to, I mean, this to is, name that and kind of the motivation for some of what we're going to talk about is. Well, it's really fitting for our mean, loss. kind of what we set out episode I don't know one right looking at how do we leave legacy and be remembered mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This ties right into that yeah yeah and I probably I'm not I don't think today I'm interested in telling like too many personal stories because maybe of my experience a lot of it isn't my story you know it's a, yeah. me observing other people's stories in the family um, but there are things that I think are, are really um, just kind of ubiquitous to the experience of loss, especially a sudden one like that, um, yeah. a tragic one like that. Um, so, uh, one other, one other mention before we dive in a little more, uh, an organization got formed right after the accident. Um, or it wasn't an accident right after the, the event, um, called 31 heroes. I was showing you their, their page yep. for the workout, uh, before, um, but they're an incredible organization. Um, they've held 31 heroes for the 31 people on the, on the, um, on the Chinook. Uh, but they've helped out our family and the whole, um, you know, gold star family community, uh, a ton since yeah. So their sole purpose is to benefit the families of, of the, uh, of the people on, on that helicopter. So, um, just a shout out to them. They've been great. Yeah. They have a fitness grant that they give to every member of every one of those 31 families. Um, it's, we, we get that every year. They pay for our gym every year and yeah. they have a met, they, they provide support for medical expenses, living expenses. If you're in dire straits, they have scholarships for that. Um, travel they've supported us in travel they're supporting this uh you know this memorial experience over the weekend uh, they've just done a lot of really really good things for the families um so all the listeners out there this is not uh, i didn't <laughs> 31 heroes doesn't know i'm plugging right but, um 
It's a worthy plug, regardless. It's a worthy plug, yeah. And if if you're uh, if you have a heart for Gold Star families, this is a uh, a community that's doing a really really a lot of good work. And there's probably a lot more that I don't know yeah. <laughs> that they're doing. There's a there's a lot with benefiting the children too of of some of the seals that died who had kids and stuff. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> but anyway, and uh, this Saturday there's a nationwide workout sponsored by Thirty One Heroes. Uh, that's a fundraiser for them and yeah i'll be i'll be partaking and the rest of my family will up and or my wife's family up in minnesota so yeah that's a good I'm one i'm gonna join in from here cool but i will join in awesome yeah try and get my uh get savage on in. do you see it's a partner workout you have to find a buddy <laughs> maybe i'll just do both mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's just an amrap yeah. it's, so just go as long as you can for 31 minutes. Exactly. Or do as many as you can. You yeah. know, fun. Do your best. Forget the rest. <laughs> we coach. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, it just, that felt important to mention for today, yeah. you know, for sure. To remember Nick and everyone else who passed away with him um, and the families. Uh, shout out 31 Heroes. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, I think when we're taking like a really long time just to lay the context, but uh, a, a death like his, all of theirs is would fall into that category of ambiguous loss. So um, I don't know. Let me know what you think as far as direction goes. I want I want to talk about ambiguous loss because I think it um, we it, I want to define it, and I think often we know what to do kind of when like death follows a certain the standard script like the person's elderly they're ill yes they've uh there's this sense of closure or peace whether that's in that person or even the family uh people and families have time to process the fact that this death is coming there's uh you're able to have a funeral service ritual, all that stuff um, so there's that experience and then there's others like the, the pat, like tragic death, the passing of somebody, um, uh, overseas. Yeah. Lots of those, lots of certain things. Do you have, I want to, I want to stick with grief as it relates to death first before we go to grief as it relates to like missed opportunities or lost yeah. experiences or the, the letting go of a vision or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have a thought on where to start? I have a thought that this is going to be more than one episode. Okay. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot here. But even just to, to kind of, I don't know, poke you a little bit. It's This is, when you're describing what's happening with your brother-in-law and the other you know, yeah. 31 heroes, it's not just an ambiguous loss, it's a direct loss. Yeah, so let's define ambiguous yeah. loss. Let's, yeah, let's start there. Because I feel like a lot of people, and again, I know our, our audience varies in experience here, but like, yeah, yeah. I don't think until I would have started doing therapeutic work, I would have known what ambiguous loss is. And yeah. I would have considered loss, just loss, uh, death, loss, loss. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Let's do that. Um, so ambiguous loss is this idea, um, that started actually with, um, a researcher from the university of Minnesota named Pauline boss. Um, great name. Yeah. Uh, she's a, 
researcher in the family therapy department um, at the University of Minnesota. And this was happening like in the 70s, I think, or 80s. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but she got interested in, uh, I believe it was Vietnam veterans who were coming back with what we now call post-traumatic stress disorder. Yep. Um, but they were essentially, she she categorized the experience of them coming back as that they were physically present. They survived the war physically, but they were emotionally absent or psychologically absent. Right. So experiencing PTSD or mm-hmm. addiction or flashbacks and things like that. Yep. So she, she was noticing this and noticing the impact on families, which was the essentially the families were grieving the loss, but the loss wasn't tangible. Mm-hmm. Um, because the person was still there, right? Which would be the ambiguity, right? It's like he's there, not there, right? The paradox. An- another example would be like dementia or Alzheimer's. Yes, right. Yeah. People that 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 have they're not the same that they were. They're physically gets, there, correct? But uh, psychologically gone, exactly. In some ways. So she. So that's how this idea of ambiguous loss started. Is there's this paradox: physically there, psychologically gone. Um, then over the course of the development of her idea, she got interested, or I think she got asked to study this idea in, um, families whose, uh, loved ones were prisoners of war or missing in action. Gotcha. Um, so, and who didn't, the families didn't get to see their loved ones come home. They didn't get to see their bodies and bury, right. um, bury their loved ones. Right. Um, and so, uh, the, the, the same sort of ambiguity was there. It was just flipped because they didn't it, Pauline boss identified that there's something really important for us to go through the ritual of seeing and burying a body yep. or releasing it somehow. Yep. And when that doesn't happen, the, 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 the person who passed away will be psychologically present to us. Mm-hmm. but they're physically absent. Right. Whereas if we go through that ritual of, uh, burying right. and seeing who we bury, yeah. um, the psychological and physical absence, they make sense. Right. You know, um, and so this idea of either of being physically present or psychologically absent, Alzheimer's is a great example of that. And PTSD and things mm-hmm. like that, um, or psychologically present but physically absent, a missing person, right? Uh, somebody killed overseas, etc. Um, this started to become the field of ambiguous loss. The ambiguity being, I, I'm th- I have these two experiences. This person's here and not here, either psychologically or physically. It's, it's trying to say something like those. Those things are mutually exclusive. Like, uh, you can't be here and not here at the same time, really. Except you, you can. You can't. <laughs> because it happens. Yes. Um, anyway, uh, this is a long answer to your question, but I think it's an important one um, to make sure we get right. She really became prominent after the Twin Towers fell on 9-11. Because now you had this concentrated event of thousands of deaths. Mm-hmm. And very... From what if I'm remembering correctly, very few bodies were identified. Is that right? Is that what you remember? 
I think so, but I, yeah. I mean, I don't remember completely either. Either way, this huge experience of a, a, a tragic loss that the loved ones very often didn't get to see their right. the remains of, of their family members who passed away and maybe didn't even know whether or not they actually died. They're just missing, you know, so yeah. like, and one part of the brain could say, yeah, obviously Maybe they, they got out. Obviously they're dead, but yes. Yeah. But because you don't have that physical There's that, experience, right. it's the, maybe they, <clears throat> maybe they got out. Maybe, yeah. maybe they actually weren't there. Yeah. Maybe somehow they were gone and they're ashamed and maybe they're coming back once they get it. Yeah. You know, your mind go. I remember when my brother-in-law passed away having discussions with people like, gosh, maybe they didn't, maybe they actually didn't crash in the helicopter maybe the maybe they were chosen for a really secret mission mm. um and and then it's like but i mean obviously we know that that's not the case but we don't know that's not the case but even if it is the case uh they're gone to us this person's yeah. gone to us you know it's just yeah. like your mind goes to all these different places yeah um so anyway, after 9-11, Pauline Boss's idea of ambiguous loss became really clear, and she started doing a lot of therapeutic groups and all these things. And the whole point of dealing with ambiguous loss is not solving the puzzle, not solving the paradox, but expanding your tolerance to live in the paradox. Yeah. This is really fascinating because, I mean, I know this person, but I didn't know this is where she gained prominence mm -hmm. like I've, I've known her from like i re referenced earlier dementia and alzheimer's yeah yeah like i didn't know all this history stuff this is yes yeah makes so much more sense yeah this is um i mean she created this concept and yeah named the experience yeah um so do you have a follow-up question before i keep going no, no, yeah. let's jump into it. So you had said like, it seems like the, you know, my brother-in-law and the rest of the soldiers, mm -hmm. and we can even expand into a lot of military deaths. Um, that's a direct, there's no ambiguity there. Yeah. And you're right. Like, in well, a, it falls into both. Well, so here's the, here's the kind of distinguishing matters because, um, if you're, if you're a listener dealing with this kind of grief, um, having a category to place your feelings in is really important. Sure. One of the painful things about ambiguous loss is there's no category that it fits in because you feel like they're here and not here at the same time. Yeah. It's like, ah, um, but so I, I want to be like real clear about the categories, I guess. Sure. Um, so ambiguous loss is the experience of when in this situation, when you don't get to see the body when you're told they, they died, and you don't get to see them dead. Yeah. I know it's really, it's really heavy, but it's, that's, that's the idea. Yeah. Um, and so in this experience, there were coffins that came back, mm -hmm. you know, uh, from overseas, but there were no identifiable bodies in there. Right. Even if we got to see the remains, they only knew it because of genetic tap, you know, or right. dental records or whatever, right. whatever, however they figured out that that yeah. was, that this person was, was the loved one. Right. So in, in, in that particular situation, it's an ambiguous loss. Um, not, not because the loss isn't clear, 
You know, this person yeah. has clearly gone from your life, our lives, but that you didn't, uh, we didn't get the experience of seeing right. them lost. Right. It was very, very difficult to fight, you know, pretty much everybody in the family wanted to open the casket. There's like, no, you yeah. can't. <laughs> that was yeah. But it's that urge. We want to know. Yeah. Um, and so the ambiguity doesn't come from the loss is clear. Like this person is gone. The ambiguity comes from how we are able to process the experience right. of how that person being it. gone. Yeah. And when you don't get to see the body and you don't get to go through that burial after seeing the body, um, that's where the ambiguity comes in. Yeah. And in other situations like nine 11, um, it's, you know, this person went to work and they're gone mm-hmm. and I don't even get remains to bury. Right. You know, so again, the absence is incredibly clear. They're gone. Yeah. But the, the ambiguity comes in and not having that clear closure. Right. Yeah. Does that help distinguish? Oh, for sure. Between yes, yeah. I think that's it's important. But to answer your your question that before we started rolling into this, in my opinion, I don't feel like we do a great job of grieving, anyways, or talking about yeah. death and loss. Yeah, much less ambiguous loss. Yeah. What do you want to know about, <laughs> or what do you think we need to send into the world as far as that goes? Because I, I agree with you. Um, um, there, there's a quote from one of my favorite grief specialists, mm-hmm. Stephen Jenkinson. Um, and he, he has this quote, and it goes, uh, we don't need hope to proceed. What we need is grief. Hmm. And I feel like I think that gets lost a lot when we talk about loss. What do, you, what do you think he means by that, or how do you interpret that? We don't need hope to proceed. We need grief. Um, the thing that I always take away from it is, and again, we're therapists, so we, we work at this, right? But emotions, feelings can get stuck. And if we're just focusing on this positive aspect of like, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. Like there's the hope, right? Yeah. A a crappy example here. We don't really deal with what's happening to us. Like the same, similar to what you're talking about with ambiguous loss and these 31 heroes, right? Like the people know they're gone but they haven't been able to process what's happening for them losing this person. Right. Mm -hmm. You got to go through this process of releasing and experiencing grief Mm -hmm. to really, like you said, (laughs) metaphorically let these people be buried Mm -hmm. and move on, Mm -hmm. get your closure. Um, Yeah. So with ambiguous grief, and I'm sorry, I'm being so precise with this professor hat. You don't get closure in ambiguous loss. It's not possible because of, the ambiguity of it. Mm-hmm. So the goal is not to get closure. It's to be able to serve to like thrive in a world where that hole still exists and you're okay. Sure. Yeah. Does it, you know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. Yeah. Yes. Do you think that's closure? Yes. I don't. I, don't. <laughs> <laughs> I think, here, well, here, maybe, maybe closure is the wrong word here and maybe this is the stick up for what you're talking about. But you yeah. do have to be able to grieve through what's happening and let yeah. let that get to a point where you're okay with it, I guess, yeah. Yeah. is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. It, and I just, I feel like being precise about closure is, is that word is important. Um, 
because closure really isn't an option sure in that situation how about acceptance maybe that's a good place okay yeah acceptance we can collaborate on that <laughs> okay <laughs> point being though right you do yeah. need to be able going back to Jenkinson here you do need to, be able to grieve what's happening like you yeah. can't just like you know stuff it in a box and yeah. throw it in the closet like it's yeah. gonna affect you and it's I'm gonna, gonna continue to affect you I'm gonna verbalize something I hear all the time from clients um, which just feels so relevant they'll I'll say something like that like it's important to be able to grieve mm-hmm. and people will come in and say how yeah how do I grieve what does that even mean yeah. I don't think I'm grieving good enough I don't yeah. think I grieved right or I can't stop crying I'm always grieving mm-hmm. yeah yeah so it's a what would you say to that to those like how do you think about those questions like how to do it right you know people do have a lot of shame i've had people who've lost spouses say like well even in in my experience of losing loved ones it's like Mm -hmm. i feel like i'm betraying them because i'm not sad enough or you know i I feel like i haven't grieved you know in the case of spouses like i feel like i should be sad or there's so much judgment self-judgment yeah or dissociation Mm-hmm. Say more. I, I think I think you're I think you're at stop three on on the train track, and we need to <laughs> yeah. go to stop one, and stop sure. two first. Yeah. I mean, I think it I think it depends on the person. I don't think there's like a, a magic prescription here of being yeah. like, go do this, go do this, go do this, and yeah. you'll grieve appropriately, and things will be fine. Right? Yeah. Like, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. But I do think like if if even looking at our podcast, right, we're talking about mm-hmm. becoming fully human. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a similar experience of letting yourself have this experience of what grief needs mm. to be and process it in whatever way, whether that's therapeutically, whether that's with loved ones, whether mm-hmm. that's with, I don't, I don't know, taking ashes somewhere or mm-hmm. completing a ritual like we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but letting yourself fully experience and work through all these avenues that are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, can I give an example here? Yeah. Personal. Yes. Life? Yes. Of course. So my, grandmother died last October, November ish. Yeah. Um, and this would have been the first funeral I went to as a therapist. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, her husband, my grandpa had passed about a decade earlier and I was really close with him. And I remember that funeral very vividly. Mm -hmm. Um, and just the whole experience because he was gone very quickly from cancer. Mm. And, uh, it was a really tough time for me that I know, I didn't grieve appropriately at the time. Mm-hmm. So like I went into this like, okay, I'm going to be open to what's happening. I want to be able to experience all this stuff. And I had this moment over this basically 72 hour span, right? Pick my, my cousin up from the airport. We're driving back. We go to the, uh, oh my goodness. What happens the night before? I'm having a brain fart here. In visitation. The visitation. Thank you. Go to the visitation. And I'm just like, I want to be, I'm just watching everything. I'm yeah. so curious for my own experience and let myself feel it. going to look at her body in the casket, like going to talk to family members, whether it's telling stories or, you know, just giving a hug and just, you know, trying to connect with people that were important to my grandma. Mm-hmm. Right. It was so fascinating to watch everyone there feel like they were walking in a shadow. Mm. Like I don't feel like they were present mm-hmm. and maybe that was, me being judgy or being mm-hmm. too therapisty, but 
it almost felt absurd to me mm. for two days. Like there are certain people like, you know, it felt real too, but then watching other family members, it almost seemed like they were in a fog mm. and it wasn't real. And I remember finishing the funeral and going out to the, the burial site and really just, I almost felt like I grieved my grandfather there because mm-hmm. she's being buried right next to him, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm just watching it. And I told myself, all right, I'm just going to let myself feel whatever I need to feel. Mm-hmm. If I have to, you know, weep for 10 minutes, I'll weep <laughs> for 10 minutes. And I did like, I mm-hmm. lost it, mm-hmm. but I was okay with it. Like I let it go. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, I'm going to let myself feel this. I'm gonna let it come out. And I remember picking up that rose and put it on the casket. And I took another one and people, you know, people will take one home. Yeah. Laid it next to my grandpa. Mm. But I mean, I was, I was crying hard. Yeah. And my yeah. cousin sitting there and again, I'm not, not trying to judge anyone's experience here. Yeah. We all go through our own things. He's like, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Yeah. Like, Dude, I'm fine. Yeah. Like this just, is, this is crushed. for me. Yeah. Like, let me, <laughs> let me yeah. have this. Yeah. But I remember looking around, just everyone felt so shut off. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And to me, that's kind of what I'm trying to describe where it's like, you know, I had my own process mm-hmm. that honestly, I probably need to grieve two people. Mm-hmm. And I did that. Mm-hmm. And maybe other people were too, but in my experience, it, it didn't feel like it. Yeah, yeah. It felt like people were maybe dipping a toe in the water, but not really letting it go. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Totally. The few things come up for me with that. One is the element of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next one is our, um, uh, the assessment that we can make of whether grief is we're doing it well or not well or et cetera. Um, and the, the last one is like, um, basically like, uh, you know, stress coping, mm-hmm. those, those three things come up. So, um, first one that I want to talk about is time hearing from your story it sounds like you started a process 10 years ago that you finished at, yeah. your, at your grandma's funeral yeah um and so uh to the to people listening because the, this goes right into the second one the element of of our tendency to self uh self-judge i guess or mm-hmm. self-assess whether we're doing this right or not um it's important to remember that one of the best things you can do as you're grieving is to excuse that judgment from yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, it feels like almost obviously from others too, mm-hmm. but I think we're, we're usually much more harsh on ourselves in, in grieving. And it's For almost sure. as if we don't feel worthy a lot of times like, Oh, I shouldn't be crying because I'm not his wife or yeah. just this myriad of self judgment one of the things that I love about your story is this thing that started 10 years ago for you. Mm -hmm. You had a conscious awareness that it was probably time to allow it to, to move. Yeah. Um, and so the people that you described as walking in shadows, maybe they were at their beginning of the 10 year process, right? Like all these different things. And from one perspective, we can see that and be like, Oh man, This is not going to be good for them from another perspective. And this gets to the third thing, which is coping with stress. Mm -hmm. And you said it dissociating Mm -hmm. this idea that you disconnect from your physical and emotional experience to get through, you know, I guess it's like a slow burn shock that people often go through, you know, 
um, with grief, it's like you just feel like you're in zombie mode. Or yeah. that's why you know so many people describe the day after the funeral's done. Yeah, it's the worst. Yeah, because there's nothing to do. There's nothing to plan. There's nothing to yeah. distract. Yeah. Um, the your story made me think of uh, just kind of a parallel to my own experience, and then I want I want to finish up um, with something that just left my mind, and it'll come back to me as soon as I finish my story. Yeah. Um, oh, I want to finish up with why we all go crazy after a death. Yeah. <laughs> Um, because it, it, I think it kind of ties into everything we're talking about. Um, but I can't remember if I told the story of my grandma's passing on this podcast and what I did. Do you remember? I don't think you told the story, but you I've talked about, talked about it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so very briefly, she had breast cancer, um, was very healthy through most of her struggle with it, but then it got into her bones and it just went downhill really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the day she died, we kind of all knew that, um, she was going to die. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, we were me, my mom, I think it was just me and my mom, my grandpa at the, at the house, but my grandma was in the dining room in her hospice bed and then it was a really, it's an, it was the house is built in the 1800s. So it was one of those rooms where it's like the parlor room, yeah. the dining room, yeah. the living room, and then the kitchen. And, you sure. know, um, but grandma was in the dining room and I, I slept on the couch in the living room and, uh, um, I woke up in the morning or middle of the morning, middle of the night. Uh, she was still alive. And then I woke up again around five in the morning and my grandpa and my mom were standing over her body crying. Like she had just passed away. I think Mm -hmm. my grandpa, it was so powerful. He slept next to her that Mm -hmm. night. You know, we pulled the bed out so he could sleep next to her. Um, but I laid there for a little bit and I don't remember if I talked to my mom and grandpa very much. I was 17 at the time. Yeah, 17 or 18, I can't quite remember. Anyway, I got out of th- I got off the couch, put on my running shoes, and I ran to one side of the small town. Mhm. Until I get th- got to the country, turned around, ran all the way other to the other side of the town until I got to the country and ran a little more until I finally got back home. Mm-hmm. And that process of running, I didn't cry. I just ran. Yeah. That was my disconnecting from the emotion. I mm-hmm. know it. <clears throat> it yeah. was good. I mean, it was, it was fine. I mean, it's what I had to do. I didn't know what to do. I just had yeah. all this feeling and emotion and energy. Um, but then I, the only other time I cried was after the visitation. Every, all the lights were turn, going down. And I turned back and looked, and the only thing there was her casket in the room, and the lights were shutting off, and I just cried with my grandpa. Uh, yeah. But then basically that door shut for me. That was it mm-hmm. until it may have been about 10 years later, mm-hmm. maybe not quite that long, maybe five or six when it just sort of hit me like, Oh my God, I didn't do any, like there is all of this grief and sadness and missing my grandma. And mm-hmm. I think it was like when I was getting married and having kids, like it just wanted her there, you know? Yeah. And it was shocking to me when I opened into that feeling, how much sadness and anger and 
um, f- missing her and loneliness and loss was coming out. Yeah. <laughs> and it still happens um, randomly. It will yeah. happen. Like, it's easier for me. This sounds really harsh, but I think it's a fairly common experience. It's easier for me to forget day to day that she ever existed mm. than it is for me to allow myself to like tap into that sadness. You yeah. Know? Because I'm doing uh, f- probably going to do 40, 50, 60 years of life without her. Mm-hmm. And I was never really interested in doing any life without her, you know? Yeah. And that's just kind of a trap that we have as being alive. And so it's, it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's hard to be like, okay, I'm going to remember her, not just as an idea, but as a person and yeah. go through that. Um, yeah. Happened to me with a college buddy too. Yeah. Who died by suicide. Um, it was right before I got married. I, I found out about it and I just sort of kept moving on. And then like that was uh, seven years later. Yeah. All of a sudden I was like, oh my, <laughs> here it comes. Yeah. You know, and I, and I keep, it keeps happening. So um, the, the things that I wanted to sort of wrap up on off that story and then I'd love to hear your closing thoughts. Um, you know, this, this, this will sneak up on you. Yeah. Grieving never really stops. Like I said with my grandma, and you probably can connect to that. I, I had no interest in doing life without her. Knew that it was coming eventually, but it takes a long time to accept that. Yeah. I don't know if I feel the the exact same way that you do about that experience. Mm-hmm. Like I'm I'm okay with the uh natural order of things, so to speak. Yeah. Um but I do think it's all right to channel grief into other areas mm-hmm. for wellness. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's some of the, one of the things you can do. Mm-hmm. You know? Like for, for me, and this is just a, a personal example. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if I talked about this on a previous episode or not. Uh-huh. Um, you seen the movie Coco? Uh, it, yes. Not completely, but oh uh, man. Well, if I've, you ever want to cry, it, just I've watch it. I've seen that. it in several snippets. Yeah. Every time I watch it, I just bawl. Yeah. It's such a powerful movie. Um, but I love, and again, this isn't from the movie Coco, but I love uh-huh. the idea that um, uh, Mexican culture has about ofrendas. Like, you know, that part of your house where you yeah. honor those that have been before you. Yeah. And that's something that I started doing over the last couple of years. Like, cool. my wife has an old, um, uh, I don't know, it's like antique shelf thing my bob mm-hmm. i don't know what they're called mm-hmm. you know what i mean but it's from her her, her great grandma mm-hmm. and we put that in a certain corner of the, the room um in my favorite part of the house mm-hmm. um sage candle there cool. we just i put pictures of you know those that are closest to us that have mm-hmm. passed and i try and spend a little bit of time there um every sunday morning yeah i love that um the time spent there is intentional if i spend time thinking about them or not mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of hit or miss mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Like I kind of do that. Yeah, and, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Especially just to, even for my kids, like mm-hmm. they're not going to remember their great grandma, my grandma, they mm-hmm. never met, mm-hmm. you know, their great grandpa. Um, but I want to tell stories. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? I want them to know about them. That's what we've done about, um, Marie's brother, Nick. Yeah. Yeah. None of the kids were alive. Um, when he passed away, no, none of them met him, but he's very present in our family's life. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that's what I'm talking about with channeling things, right? Mm-hmm. You can still connect with those that are gone, mm-hmm. um, help 
spread their legacy, so to speak. And yeah. That's what 31 Heroes is doing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you said at the beginning of this, we're probably going to do more than one episode. And yeah, we have to. Um, <laughs> because there's a lot. There's, you know, I'm thinking about, okay, like what to do. We haven't even broached yeah. that comp. You know, we haven't even really gotten into that. Like, okay, these, this is all good information, but I still am in, in the throes of grief and I don't know what to do. Um, so, uh, we have to get there. I didn't get to answer the question why people go crazy after, yeah. <laughs> after death. And I think it's vital actually yeah. to the conversation yeah. to talk about that. Um, and we didn't get to, um, talk about grieving and the absence of something that never was. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's a lot here. Um, so I'm, I'm feeling this need to like. I always get this with grief and, and in a lot of things, I just want to like, let everybody know whatever's happening is okay. Yeah. Like if you're in the heart of grief right now or whatever, like maybe one takeaway is just, uh, work as much as you can to remove any judgment you have on how you're doing it, mm-hmm. how you're feeling as long as you're not hurting other people. Yeah. Yeah. If you're doing it by keeping, continuing to beat up your brother, like, <laughs> Let's maybe channel that aggression to the weight room or something. Find a different way to connect. Yeah. But even then, you know, like, okay, this isn't healthy, but don't, don't shame yourself. Yeah. Okay. Well, we opened a can of, uh, a can of something here. We'll we'll, we'll see where it goes. Good thing. We got a weekly podcast. Good thing. We got a weekly podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. Um, it's good to be back. Yep. Be well guys.